I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Hi, Marjorie Punnett. Hey. How you doing? It's been a week. Yeah, I know. It's been a week. It's been a week. It's been an 18 months. We're just recording today basically to, to, to share with all of you that my mother passed away last Tuesday. Oh. Yeah. It's, you know, I feel like I've gotten some really lovely emails from women who have said that our podcast has really helped in understanding what it means to take care of a parent who's elderly and is can no longer take care of themselves. And so I'm grateful for that. You know, most of what we share in this podcast, we share because we hope it's helpful. It's not because we just like to talk about ourselves. <laughs> and so I just, I felt like so many of you have been so kind to listen to the podcast and sort of listen to the last 18 months. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. It was helpful to talk about. It was helpful to talk about it with you, Elizabeth. And, you know, she, what was difficult in her, in her passing and, and in a sense in her last two years of life is she fell down in May of 2020. Yeah. And it was 87 when she fell, 86 or 87. And up until that point, she had lived independently in, in the home that she loved, which overlooked the lake in Chicago. So she was a city girl through and through and woke up every morning, had a balcony and loved being on her porch. And after she fell and she hid her head and we've talked about this on the podcast, she was in intensive care and then rehab pretty much through the summer until we could bring her home. And then it was clear that she could no longer live by herself at that time. She recovered. We thought maybe she could, and we tried that experiment. We went all, you know, we've talked about all of this, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think the hardest thing for me was to watch a woman who was so physical. You know, she was a walker. She was, she liked being fit. She liked being active. She was mentally very, still very strong mentally. My mother, if you hadn't picked it up from what we talked about in the podcast, was very liberal, very progressive. Up until she was 87, she was at every protest she could go to. So there she would be, whether it was for you know, women's rights or whatever it was, she would be going. And so it was it, the difficulty is watching somebody's body fail them. And her mind was strong-ish, but, you know, she had memory issues and things like that. But it was her body that was really failing her. And she just wanted to be free of it. And I wrote to you on Tuesday, I was with her. We had moved her to hospice about 10 days ago and she was failing quickly. Yeah. And um, luckily I was there as she took her last breath and I was holding her hand. Man. And it was really, I am sad, but I am so happy for her Yeah. to be free of that body. I mean, her body was so scarred up. Mm. It was so, from all the falling because she just... One of the, she said a couple of really sweet things in hospice, but at one point I said to her before she was really not having any conversations anymore, I said, what do you want, mom? And she said, I want to walk. I want to walk. Boy, I I know that feeling, man. Yeah. Yeah. It just was so, it's so odd to say, but it was so central to her being, Mm -hmm. I think metaphorically and truly as a mother complicated. But as a human being, one of the most independent people I've ever known, she just knew what her, what she wanted to do. I will tell you the strangest thing, Elizabeth, we were, so we, we brought her to hospice and shout out to Good Shepherd Hospice. Oh my gosh. 
Elizabeth, you can't even imagine how these people come into your life and are so profound and then you're done. They're angels among us, huh? These hospice workers. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing to go someplace to die if you can't die in your own home. But I stayed with her Monday night, the night before she passed, and they were coming in every two hours to turn her and make sure she was comfortable and to give her medication and all of those things for pain. And, but it's just, they, the hospice was kind of run like Ronald McDonald house. So, you know, there was food and volunteers baked cookies and muffins. It just feels safe and homey and nice. And, mm-hmm. and then she was 24 hour nursing. But so that Monday, Ian and I had been with her and then we decided to just go grab some dinner and the dinner there it was in this really, it's in this really beautiful part of Manhattan, Kansas. And so we sort of went out the entryway and then we pulled in just like three minutes away. The, the restaurant is just on the other side of the hospice. And I confess I overproducing a moment where Ian pulled into the parking lot and he starts to make a turn to the right. And I'm like, what what are you doing? There's like there's like a whole bank of parking spaces. I we have issues with how we park. Like it's just I never understand his parking choices ever. So there's like a whole twenty spaces right there. And my car when I park on campus, I'm always getting dinked because the parking spaces are so close together. So it's like twenty spaces. So joking, I'm just like, what are you doing? And he sort of laughed and he's like, where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And I'm like, I want to go into, and we're being silly. And I'm like, I want to go into that parking space. And they're like, <laughs> pointed to exactly the one I wanted to go into. And Elizabeth, we pulled in and there's some woods facing the woods and right on a low branch in daylight, it's like duck. It's like five o'clock is a full owl staring right into our car. No. I've never seen an owl outside of a raptor center in my life. And it's just looking right at us. <gasps> it's so beautiful. So we're like looking at it. And then it was, that was the parking space I chose. I intentionally chose that one. He's looking right into the car. So I take a picture through the windshield. Then I get out and he still doesn't move. And I just start taking more pictures of him and he still doesn't move. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go closer. And then he finally flies or she finally flies away. And so I'm like, oh gosh, what do owls mean? Who do you think it was? It's someone. It was someone waiting for her. I, I I fully believe this. Well, I look up, what does it, what is the, the symbolism of an owl? And it's wise, you know, but owls can also mean death and change and transition. It's like so weird. So. I don't know. Was it already her? I mean, she was still alive at this point, but is that, was her spirit already gone? I have no idea, but it was so bizarre. I mean, it's so bizarre. And the funniest thing about all of this is we were going to the restaurant that we're going to is this little bar called Mr. K's, which is my father. My father was Mr. K. I'm like, oh, please, I'll don't be my father waiting for my mother. That was, (laughs) that would not be what she wants. They are divorced. I know, but maybe it would be like the beginning again. You know, there was something that drew them together at the beginning. And it sounds, it's like so cyclical what you're talking about though. Like there might be, you know, there might be like unfinished business and like an apology there or a just like, (laughs) I'm okay with you and you're okay with me on the other side. 
I think oh, it no. is. I don't know. I, but I said we were joking about how, and Mr. K's was just the closest place, but we were laughing because it's like, oh, mom would hate this, that we're sitting in Mr. K's having chili. She would hate this. No, I, I mean, if it's somebody, I hope it's her father. Yeah. I hope it's her mother. I don't know. They're I hope probably it's, excited to have I, her. Well, I, that's what I used to tell her. I used to tell her that I used to call my grandmother nanny. That nanny was just ready for her to come. Oh gosh, it's it. But it was so. I mean, the pictures. Elizabeth, I can't. We pull it, and he's just staring, or she's just staring right at us. That's incredible. That's an incredible gift. And then, and and then she died, probably about fifteen hours later. Listen, I don't. I don't think those things are a coincidence. I, I think there is like. And I, I'm a person of deep faith and I just believe that everything in this world was created for a purpose and there's just so much meaning and beauty in so many things. But that kind of freaks me out, honestly. Like when I saw the owl, it was like, then there's an order. Like if, if it means something, if it really meant something, then there's an order to our life and death. And that is comforting and freaky all at the oh, same for time. For sure. There it's a beautiful cycle, though it yeah. all that's exactly what it is. It like yeah. I find that so comforting. You are type A trying to control the situation. I find it like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't have to control so, anything. I don't have to worry yeah. about it. I don't have to stress about it. I'm one piece in this full puzzle and what what will be will be. And I think yeah. that's like the most beautiful thing. Oh my gosh. I'm going to like think about this owl for I'll send you the days. picture. I'll send you the picture. It was, it was, it was really striking, Man. but you know, her, it's, it's so odd to reflect about the last 18 months and then, you know, life before that. And you really, I mean, she and I had long ago come to a place of peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she, I, you know, I look at who I am because of her and it's interesting because I am her and a reaction to her at the same time. And so all of my independence and striving nature comes and really pushing myself mm-hmm. comes from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I like that about myself. I mean, I'm okay with that. And, you know, she, she just wasn't, she just wasn't one to settle. I mean, even though she went to Northwestern and the intent was that she would find a good husband and marry well. She was determined to put that education to use. She's determined to be, you know, she's a journalist first and then public relations. And, you know, you look at that, this is a woman, she graduated from Northwestern in like 1955. Wow. And so that's like a woman who was just, you know, she was like other women. She wasn't, you know, there are lots of women at the time who were pushing back, but she was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of that for her. My reaction to her is the kind of mother that I am. Mm-hmm. I am a completely different mother than she was. I just, I, I think I'm much, I was much more nurturing and much more in tune with that my child's life mattered. And it's not that she didn't think mine mattered, but she also was a, a, a parent in a time where kids were not looked after in the same way that we all look after our children now, whether that's good or bad. And I'm making huge generalizations, but raising kids in the seventies, we were pretty free form and we weren't alone in that. I mean, lots of kids were just out 
doing whatever. Yeah, the 80s were still like that too, just why it was a good time. It was a good slash terrifying time. I love that you say that I am her and I'm also a reaction to her because, and just to, I know that that is, I can't imagine how difficult that was as a child and then as an adult to really realize that like your needs as a child weren't met by the person who you needed and you loved more than anyone. And I know this because I mean, that's, that's my mom's story too. And I think that's very difficult, but as the child of the person who is the reaction to that, it's like the greatest gift because like my mom is just like you in terms of just always hearing us, always caring, always just even in the eighties when it was like looser, but it was still, we just always felt valued and heard. And, and that's amazing for you to do that when that wasn't totally modeled for you. No, it's incredible. It's the weirdest things were modeled for me, you know, and that's, and it's funny because growing up, I was just so proud of her. Yeah. Because she was unlike any of the other mothers that I knew. Yeah. Most of them, there were a couple, you know, that were like my mom, but most women of, of my friends' moms were pretty traditional housewives. And, and I was just really proud. I was really proud of her because she always, my mother was always doing interesting things or she was traveling to meet with editors in New York. And it's like a 10 year old, 11 year old, you're thinking like, wow, she's cool. (laughs) And, you know, and then, and then, even, you know, she had a, in the day, they called it a secretary, but her, you know, I guess we would call it a personal assistant now named Ruby, who that's who I would call after school. And then Ruby would always put me through. I mean, and that was the thing is that we were always put through. It wasn't till later when I realized like I was running on achievement mm-hmm. and not on love. Yeah. Like I was trying to model myself after her. So it's a, it's a weird thing to recognize that, oh, yeah, there was a part that you could look at outwardly and go, oh, that was great. But there was a whole sort of inner, inner familial piece of that and mothering piece, which I don't think she was particularly good at. But I think she didn't particularly want to be a mother Yeah, in that sense. She was of the time where she was Catholic. You have babies. And so and a lot it, of them, a whole bunch, a whole uh, herd of them. Yeah, four. Four. You're Four's close. on the low end. You're, you're, you're close to, you're close to four. Um, well, I'm close to herd status. I think herd four is a herd. <laughs> yeah. But, but anyway, I just think it's interesting about the time I got to spend with her. And one of the things I most admire about her was her reconciliation in her fifties to the mistakes she had made. Yeah. And that's what I would say to people. It's like, if your family isn't happy, if you've done something wrong, even if my age or in your fifties and you look at your kids and there's, and you've done something wrong, which is everybody does. Yeah, for sure. That what I most admire about her looking back at her 89 years is that period in her fifties where she had to reconcile because now some of those issues were showing themselves mm-hmm. in her children, in her marriage, in her career, all the fractures were coming and being and happening. Mm-hmm. And instead of blaming or instead of being a victim in it, she went into therapy and she reconciled with me and apologized and did differently with the grandchildren. Yeah. She was a great grandmother. That's amazing. And I think that's that everything she did in her life to me 
that was the most amazing Mm -hmm. because that's hard in your fifties to look back and go, oopsie. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard anytime. It's hard to look back at yesterday and go, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just is. (laughs) Shoot, man. I didn't do so well yesterday. Shoot, that wasn't that great. I know. I wonder about, so that, so I will tell you, I've never been with anyone who's died in that moment. Like I've never seen that transition. And number one, I think there's like this incredible beauty in just that moment of like, you were there for her last breath. And of course she was there for your first breath. Right. Just that it just like, as a mother, it just makes me feel like, oh my gosh, like what a gift. Like, did, did you, how do you feel about that moment? I feel like she knew that I was there. Yeah. So I feel so good that she wasn't alone. Yeah. And her last day was a good day. She had gotten bath, which my mother was, my friend told me there's an expression in Italy called la bella figura, which is, which is about when you go out, you are turned out (laughs) that you, you know, that you are dressed to go out. Yeah. Or it may be, I think it's, it's Bella Figura. I don't know what the article is, but, and I, I love that expression. And that's what I was thinking about my mom is when she, when she was out in the world, she was dressed mm-hmm. and she looked great. And so there was something about her getting a bath the last day that she smelled good and her hair looked good. You know, Aww. it was like she was like, she was ready to go. And so yeah. that was good. And then I had run out for a little bit and Ian had come over and Ian, this is the um the benefit of having a husband who's religious and happens also to be an ordained deacon. Mm-hmm. Did a variety of prayers. So he prayed with her for about two hours. Yeah. And then I got back and it was clear like it was it was gonna happen soon. Yeah. And so he was standing on one side and I was standing on the other holding her hand and stroking her hair. And I just was so glad that I was there. Yeah. So for her, I hope I think she I think that mattered. For me it's so strange, Elizabeth. The last breath was not dramatic. The ramp up to the last breath was very dramatic because you get something called a death rattle, mm-hmm. which is very loud sort of gurgling um, sound where it sounds like you're kind of drowning. Mm-hmm. It's very, as the nurse said, it's usually harder for the families than it is for the person who's passing because mm-hmm. it just sounds horrific. And so in our last three minutes, that subsided. And so it's just very quiet. And then, and then it was just clear. Like, it wasn't like, oh my God, that was her last breath. It was like, I think that was her last breath. Like it was so, it was so almost uneventful. Yeah. Which um, isn't that a lovely thing? Yeah. It just, it's it was just done. like one, one place to the next. And then she found out who the owl is. Exactly. No, but you just said it exactly. It's one place to the next. One and I think that's next. what I, I keep thinking about. It's like, the division between, and this is almost cliche, but when you witness it, mm-hmm. the division between life and death is one breath. That's like it's it. like, and that's a lot to take in. I think for me, it's but a it lot, was, but then it's just a little, like yeah, I find yeah. all of these yeah. things to be very comforting Yeah, because when you live your whole life, like trying to avoid this and avoid this and avoid, I mean, we have like, we're the worst death people in the world. We are Americans. The worst I mean, people. we're terrible. It's 
But I, you know, like, it's so interesting how we just try not to talk about it. We try not to think about it. We're trying to, you know, and, but it is just this simple, small shift. Yeah. And that's what it feels like, a very simple, small shift. And what was strange, though, is, okay, so now she's passed, mm-hmm. and she's in the room, and we're in the room. And Ian said to me, he goes, do you want me to cover her face with the sheet? And I said, no, because we had to pack up some of her things. And I said, no, no, because we used to joke, and we used to joke with my mom when she would sleep especially when she got into her eighties, when she was sleeping, she looked dead. I mean, she honestly looked dead. So you would go in and you'd be like, are you breathing? Are you not breathing? And so that honestly, she just looks like she's sleeping. It would be yeah. more traumatic for me to have a sheet. Over Did you her. close her eyes or were her eyes closed? Her eyes were closed. Yeah. And so, you know, so, so we were in her room for about two and a half hours with, or two hours with her body. And there's this book called by Joan Dickian called The Year of Magical Thinking. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read it? No, I got, I, I'm going to download it right when we're done talking. Oh gosh, it's a beautiful book. And yeah. it's about when her husband passes away and she keeps feeling like he's not, like she just doesn't, she can't address the fact that he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so The Year of Magical Thinking is all about her just thinking that he was still alive. And it's beautiful. It's Joan Dickian. So it's beautifully written. And so I had this. And this will be strange. So please don't email me. But I just felt like this last 18 months have been so intense. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard for me to reconcile that she's dead. Yeah. So I took a picture of her and it just, I don't know, oddly. And then I have a clip of her hair. And oddly, it just makes it easier to to go. Yeah, she's, she's dead. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. It won't be weird if you read the year of magical thinking, but to anybody else, it might seem weird, but I don't think so. But then, you know, there's all sorts of weird choices. Like, and you know, she's being cremated and my sister had wanted to put an outfit on her. And the nurse was like, no, <laughs> we generally don't do that. And I thought my mom was very modest in that sense. And to put an outfit on a dead body, you have to really manipulate the body. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's no. not going to happen to her. And yeah. so they come, when they came to pick her up, they wrap her, they wrap her in a white sheet. And then I took this little pin that she always wore and I put the pin on the, it was pretty. Oh, see, that's lovely. It was pretty. Oh my gosh. So. Oh, Marjorie, what a road. Yeah. It's but- just such a road. And I mean, you sharing all of this is just so incredible. And I can just imagine the, the conflicted grief that comes along with feeling like, I mean, I know you feel relief for yourself and for her, you know, I mean, for sure. And that's completely there. And then it's just, it's just grief is so tricky. It's so complicated. And it's, you know, we were really sold a sham with that whole like stages that you go through, (laughs) like (laughs) passing it on. I don't know if you're aware, but that is not really how it works. <laughs> it's yeah. what a racket. It's like when they try to tell you that Lucky Charms is part of a complete breakfast. That's also a sham. Like none of this stuff is true. Although I will confess my comfort cereal is sugar pops. Gross. So I- <laughs> it's like the worst one. A 
of all of them. It's like foam. God, at least pick a better one. Me? Don't judge me. It's my comfort cereal. So before the podcast, I had a huge bowl of sugar pops. I never have them in the house because I'll just eat them. But this weekend, I was like, I'm going to have some sugar pops. Oh, <laughs> so man. That's what I ate for lunch. And it was a complete lunch. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel like I feel very complete. But you were talking about that you have some grief in your house. You know, it's week. just interesting that it kind of comes at the same time, Audrey, because this is today is today is Jay's mom's birthday as we're talking about this. And Jay's mom passed away right before we started dating. And mm-hmm. and then it's so fascinating that the bird thing came up because I wanted to share with you. So this is, you know, it's just always it's always a complicated week because her birthday is October 24th as we're recording this. And then she passed away on Halloween and she loved Halloween. Oh, And so we spent some time over the weekend with Jay's brother and then his wife and their kids. And we just had like a really lovely family night. We made Mexican food because we, because we just love Mexican food and Roz was 100% Mexican. So we always just like, they just kind of naturally gravitate towards Mexican food when they connect with her, which I think is really sweet. And I so, love that. And it's not even like a conscious choice a lot of times. It's just like, here's what we're making. And, right. um, and so we, um, Bernie made her a birthday card today and she said, dear grandma Roz from Bernie and mom and dad, and then drew a heart. And then she said, oh. mama, should I draw some pumpkins? Because grandma Roz loved Halloween. I'll make some pumpkins. So she drew pumpkins on it. And then the inside, it says, we miss you so, so, so much. We think that every time we see a cardinal, we think of you. Oh. We're the best. I wish I got to see you. Oh, I, I love that she's alive in, in Bernie's memory though. Yeah. Yeah. And she never knew her, you know, I mean, and and neither did I. And I think that, I think that part can make this, this day and this week feel really lonely for Jay because he lives in a home where no one else knew her, you know, and we all like do our best to, we ask about her and we tell stories. We have pictures of her. I mean, we have all these things and, but I, I would imagine that that would feel very lonely to like and live in this house with the people you love the most and they don't know the one who loved you more than anyone, you know? And I wonder, I wonder if from his perspective too, if the sadness comes in that she didn't know you. Yeah. I think that that's very difficult. I think it's, and the kids. yeah, that he looks around at this house and thinks like, look at all I have and what I've done. And, and she doesn't, get to see it, which, you know, I think she sees it, but I think it's, it's just difficult, which is again, why we kind of, as we go back to sort of that grief conversation, you know, it's been, gosh, Jay and I have been together for, so it's been over 13 years since she passed away. And so So he was in his twenties. Um, he was 29. He was just about to turn 30. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And I think, you know, I think that our experiences of losing a parent are so different for sure. Mine is expected and mine, I'm, I am fully formed and my mom knew her grandchildren Mm -hmm. and knew them well. Yeah. And so there is an element of, it was her time. You know, she, she even knew she felt like she had, that she was past her time. Yeah. And so it's the, the grief comes in memory 
comes in memory more than it does in lost opportunity. For sure. And I think that's the harder thing when you lose a parent in your twenties or when, mm-hmm. when you're young like that is it's, it's, it's memory and lost opportunity. Sure. And that's sort of a double, that's, I think, a much harder road, honestly. And so I, I will say a little prayer for Jay today because I, I know what it's like to lose a mom. Yeah. So I know. I know. Well, Marjorie, I love you. I love you I love so you much. Too. And I love, I love everything um, that you shared. I mean, this, this has been a road that you've been so open about. And, and I think it's really just helped a lot of people. It's certainly I hope so. Me. I hope so. And I couldn't have done it without you, lady. Honestly, you're a great conversation partner. So well, much yeah, love. but I also help I you get the that. microphone working and stuff too. Like, <laughs> I hit record on the Zoom, so I do that. There's so Those much you do. I take care of that, and then I'm holding the Instagram password hostage because I can't figure it out. So you know, there's all these things. <laughs> I love you. I if love you are enjoying this, you. <laughs> thank you. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com.